0: to be able to share with you um, Jesus Christ by way of television and radio um, from all of the United Methodist Church. Many of you are dependent upon radio and television for your worship service because you're unable to, to go out and, pray and come and go as you please. So it's a real honor and real privilege for us to be able to minister to you by way of radio and by way of television. If you have any comments about how we can improve our worship service we certainly acceptance comments, we, we thank you for your prayers and your presence and for, for your gifts and that if at any time you would you know, have a little extra cash, you know, direct it this way, you know, we're just really going from day to day and you know, week to week. I want to continue my series today, um, again, some of you have mentioned, you know, why don't you mention your name, I, my name is Randy Tabor, Dr. Randy Tabor, I've had that name for close to 68 years now. Um, no need change, but I want to emphasize, you know, and I'm, I'm hoping that I can bring it to a sense of closure in this message by way of radio and television. I brought up three points last week to you. I don't know how many of you remember them. I'll just mention the again about salvation and separation and sanctification. I really emphasized salvation last week, and I'm going to try to get through just in the next few moments the um, impact that separation has and sanctification, what that is. You talk to a normal individual on the street corner, you ask them about salvation, they have a hard time explaining salvation. Then you ask them about separation and they thought, oh, it's separation, what's that? And, and in sanctification, I hope to make that more clear. I want to um, preface all my points by saying that now no one is perfect, even after... They have been saved, and God will punish um, sin, but he can eradicate sin, you know, the penalties, by the blood of the Son the Lord Jesus Christ. And that punishment, that chastisement, will may come somewhat in his life, some of the things that, you know, we really foolishly done, but God forgives our waywardness, and our prodigalness. But still, we will still be a child of God, and we'll someday find a home in heaven. So the first great word that I shared with you last week was salvation. Second great word is separation. Now we're facing a society that has a great deal of problems. Even theologians, even biblical scholars, even preachers, Sunday school teachers have a hard time um, with separation. They think that everybody should climb an ark and can float it together. But judgment is coming. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17. Wherefore, wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. I will receive you. Paul here was talking to Corinthians, was talking to you and I today and in a society that we live in. Rather than Christians going into the world, the world is coming into Christians. Rather than the church going into the world, the world is coming into the church. It says that they lived, Paul lived in one of the most wicked cities in the ancient world. That was the Corinthian church. They lived in one of the most wicked cities in the ancient world. and Some of them had been saved, but they were still yoked with unbelievers. Doing the things that sinners did, going to the places where sinners, sinners went. And Paul knew that they would have no influence or spiritual power as long as they did those things. So he quotes the Lord as saying, Come, come ye out, come ye out from among them, and be ye what? Separate. Separate. Now, some people, I'm hoping, none of those listening by way of radio or television, some people make separation a negative thing. They say, I don't dance, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't chew, and I don't go with anybody that chews. I don't go to blue movies. And therefore they think that they're leading separated lives. But that is not enough. We must not only turn our backs on we must live lives that are positive for Jesus Christ, that, are, that has a, a sense of sweetness of spirit and of love for everyone. You know, the, I've mentioned, and I don't know if it's a Randy Tabor thing, but you know, there's three words that I'd like to emphasize in the future. Do we criticize and condemn? Or are we concerned about? Or do we celebrate? And you can kind of put that in that, this whole same-sex situation and issues. I hope that you and I aren't in that criticism and condemning circle, but we're concerned about those. And certainly I don't want you to see be in the celebration of that policy and practice in life. Some people, some people say certain things, but that's not enough. We must not only turn our backs on the world, we must live lives of positive Christian consecration and service, combined with a life of sweetness of spirit and, and love, love for everyone. Just to refrain from wrong makes one a neutral person. Just to refrain from what is wrong puts you in that neutral pers- person. I grew up you know, man. For the first um, up until probably about '75, I drove a, a straight stick. You know, I I was kind of a Ford man, and I drove you know, Cobra Jet at four speeds. And then suddenly came on um, the fact of driving automatics, and I thought, oh, okay. you know, automatics, you know, that's that's not going to last. And this day and time I like automatics. I like to be able to just put it in gear and not have to shift and take the time of pushing in the clutch and working your ears. But to be a neutral person, just to put a vehicle in neutral, you just don't go anywhere. You can't back up, you can't go ahead. But there are a lot of people in the world and in, in the church that are neutral. They're so neutral to everything. They don't stand for anything and they're falling for everything. They stand for nothing and they fall for everything. Just to refrain from wrong makes one a neutral person to switch over to some Christian activity and a Christian spirit gives one power with God and others. A great man once said, and I wish I could have said that I said this, but if there's anything in my life which conflicts with my duty to God and God's church, I will give it up. I hope that you and I can say that likewise. But the average Christian, the average Christian re- reverses the order. They they'll say if my church activity conflicts with my worldly obligations, I'll give up my church activity. That's the reason it's so hard to find church workers nowadays. I've been behind the pulpit nearly 50 years, and I've just seen a steady decline in the last 10 or 15 years of Christian workers. They're, they're too busy in the world. They're too busy in the world. Sunday morning and night or Wednesday, Bible studies, Christians, they they ought to be in God's house. It's sinful to be to let something stand in the way of your faithfulness to Jesus Christ. It may, it may be a favorite program I used to make a lot of house calls, and I even had some people say, "Well, could you come back in a few minutes? My favorite soap is on and I thought to myself i 'm being displaced because of soap. People are, love their easy chairs or something else that stands between you and God and as a pastor as a pastor. Suppose I said on Sunday mornings that I can't go to church or I can't lead the prayer meeting, I can't pray publicly, I can't teach the Bible, I must go to my club meeting. I have a family event that I need to attend. How long would I last as a preacher, as a pastor? Well, as a Christian, aren't you as much obligated to be as faithful as a preacher? I had a good friend of mine. I had a preacher to the church here. He held a meeting in a Florida church. And he stayed in a very lovely home. And the husband in that home was not a Christian. and The wife was a Christian. But she was all mixed up with things of the world. And one night, the preacher preached on being separated. The separated life. And, and this woman came forward and rededicated her life to Jesus Christ. And the next morning she um, resigned from all of her worldly, worldly connections. And later she said to her husband, I have given up all these things and, and from now on the greatest desire of my heart is to see you as my husband saved. She said, giving your heart to Jesus Christ will take care of your business. And just before my pastoral preacher friend, one of the last times he was here at all of that was when 9-11 occurred. Both of us were in the office and we were looking at that one twin tower. And, and as we were looking at the one twin tower, we'd seen a, another plane flying. And we looked at, at at one another and we said, this can't be. This cannot be. What's happening Three days later, Dr. Bergstrom received a telegram telling him that the man who had been saved had joined the church and was with his wife faithfully at all church activities. This never would have happened if the man's wife had not given up her worldliness for Christ. sake. if you want to be God's blessings, it's still true that you must put Jesus Christ first. Seek first the kingdom of God and all God's righteousness. One day, a friend of mine, and I, I hope you enjoy these stories because man, I'm just full of stories. And, and Jesus loved to tell stories too. His stories were called parables. One of my friend's sister-in-laws was just a, a kind of a nominal, nominal, nominal church member. She was a she was a bridge player. Not, you know, I I never took up any cards. I never had time, you know, man. On the farm we were either in the barn or taking care of animals or in the field. We had nothing against cards, so I don't even know one card from another, but but she was a bridge player and she was a member of, of actually two bridge clubs, and I believe she wasted her time day after day at the bridge table. But the time came when this life this life didn't satisfy her anymore. She She went to a woman who she knew to be a consecrated Christian and she invited her to attend a revival where where a friend of mine was preaching in. And when this preacher friend gave the invitation, she came forward to rededicate her life to Christ. And she became this entirely different person. She gave up the bridge clubs and began to study faithfully, study God's Word. She became active in her church. She taught a class. Of women in the Sunday school. She became a deeply, deeply interested in, in missions, and she actually even served on, on a faculty at a seminary for black, black preachers. And she's now a very dedicated Christian, and her life has been a great influence on her friends and family. Do you want to have a godly influence on your friends? Do you want to be the salt and the light of the world? Now, there are two points here. First, when she wanted some spiritual help, she didn't go to her bridge partners. She didn't go to her bridge partners, she went to a consecrated Christian. And second, when she began to live the separated life, she was able to be of service in the church, to serve God and to serve others. And the worldly nominal Christian is of no help to anyone. Now, there are two desires that fill the hearts of some people. They want to serve in some way and they want to receive some notice. Many of them join worldly organizations to satisfy their desires. Yet the best place in the world to serve God and others is in and through the church. You may not get your picture in the paper, but God will notice it in heaven and reward you in the here and hereafter. And the things of this world are so very fleeting. The service you render then we'll die with the setting sun. It's what you do for Jesus Christ that counts. And when you meet Jesus Christ at the judgment seat, Jesus Christ will reward you, not for your club work, or your lodge work, or your civic work, but for what you did for him on earth, for all eternity. So we see that separation, along first with salvation, then separation, salvation is this great word for the Christian, separation, from the world separation unto Jesus Christ the last great word along with salvation and separation the third word is sanctification I've often surveyed Christians and I've asked them to give me a definition of sanctification very few people have passed the test First Thessalonians chapter 5 23 says and the very God of peace what great gift you and I seek today in the world and in all lives. But, and the very God of peace sanctify you, sanctify you wholly. And I pray God, your whole spirit and soul and body to be blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 Don't be afraid of that word sanctification. Some of us shy away from it because certain sects use it as a is a false, false sense. They say it means sinless perfection. The complete eradication of a sinful nature. Then we look at them and at, at our own sinful lives and, and we knew that such a, such a thing, a perfect perfection here upon earth, is not attainable, not, it doesn't happen. But sanctification is a very important biblical doctrine. It has a, has a threefold meaning. First it means the setting aside for God's use and purpose. Do you want to be set aside for God's use? For God's purpose? God said to Jeremiah, Before I form thee in the belly, what does that have to say about abortion? God says, before I form thee in the Mahalak body, before I sanctified thee, I ordained thee a prophet, Jeremiah chapter one. That God wanted You and I, this man Jeremiah, for a specific purpose. So it sanctified him and set him aside for that purpose. Now, why did God say you and I? Are you purpose-driven in life? Was it just so that he could take you to heaven at the end of your life? No, he wanted to use you to glorify his name. So when you were converted, he set you aside for God's use. You do not always enter into his plans, but God has alternative plans, but God's perfect will is for you to seek first the kingdom of oh God and his righteousness. Now, here's a person who is um, head of a very, very great organization with many employees under him. He sets one man aside to do certain work, another man to do another work. Another woman so-and-so, and so and they may not enter all of his plans and thus his work situation is weakened that much. God has no hands but our hands to his work. He sets us aside for his purpose, but he causes, and, he, and sometimes really works on us to do his work, causes hindered when we refuse to enter into his plans. One of my first administrative board chairs was a um man that rose to the ranks of head of bridgemans and of and Lakes. And I remember when we go side by side and his, his father mother were Methodist ministers at Asbury United Methodist, John Hofstede. And John would oftentimes tell me that um, when he would go in I couldn't believe it, but when we go in the large cafeteria to grab something to eat, and he'd, he'd treat me, he'd say, um, Now don't be bothered by the fact that there's a lot of activity, and then when I show up, it just really signed sign was done. I thought, well, Man, that going happen? in you know, a big cafeteria, you go to Bridgman's or something, you land the lakes. And sure enough, when we walked in there, the place, just became like, oh man, like a museum. The quietness, because they knew that John was a man of prayer. When he ordered his food, and he he blessed it, you know, it was silence. I remember one time, John says that when he was growing up, he went over to a neighbor's place, and the neighbors, there sat down to eat, and they just went right straight for the food, and his parents asked him, asked Johnny, you know, John, what was it like going over to so-and-so neighbors? And John says, man, they're, they're just like um, Mutt and Jeff. Mutt and Jeff were dog, dogs that they had. They're just like Mutt and Jeff. The minute you sit down the food, they just, man, they just gobbled it down with dog 10 grades sure. A paintbrush I may mean, be set aside to paint beautiful pictures, but This never happens unless the brush is yielded to the artist's hand. A fountain pen may be set aside to write beautiful poems, but never unless that pen is yielded to the person's hand. A mighty organ may be set aside to play beautiful music, but never unless it is yielded to the master's, musician's touch. And you and I, yes, you and I, have been set aside for God's use, but nothing worthwhile will will come out of our lives unless we yield ourselves to God's touch. Yes, sanctification is that act, is that act whereby we set ourselves aside for the use of Jesus Christ in the church. Then sanctification is this progressive work of growing in grace. The Bible teaches us that it's a natural thing For us to grow more like Jesus every day, once we're indued with the Spirit of God. This growth is grace, is that progressive work of sanctification. The sad thing about many people is that they are no better Christians and no more like Jesus than the day they were converted. Someone has said that sanctification is almost a Christianizing of a Christian. I think that's a good definition. I have seen a little boy who looked like his father as, as he grew up and became more like his father. And by the time he was 21, he was a carbon copy of, his, of the older man. The father both, they, they looked and they did things similarly, the same. When we are born into the family of God, we don't look much like Jesus. But as we grow in grace, we look more like Him. We behave more like Him. We try to live as He did, to carry out His principles, to live as He did. Now, there are several means of Christian growth. First, there is the study of God's Word. It it points out our defects and helps us to correct them. Then there is prayer. The person who never talks to God never grows in grace. Then there is faithfulness to Christian duty. This means church attendance. Worship, right living, serving wherever we can, witnessing for Christ, bringing our tithes and our offerings to him. I have not finished, but I just have to close. Let us pray. I have seen a grown man with the mind of a child, and I know this has brought sorrow to his heart. So if we grow in every way and fail to grow more like Jesus, this must bring sorrow to the very heart of God. Finally, sanctification reaches its final stage at Christ's second coming. For the Bible says in First John chapter three, to be "Beloved, now are we the sons and daughters of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when we shall appear, we shall be like Jesus, for we shall, we shall see him as he is. And as we have borne the image of the earthly, we shall also bear the images heavenly. Some day, we who trust Christ." As our Savior, are going to be just like Jesus. We will not grow like him in this world, but in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, as we go up to meet Jesus, we shall be changed. We shall become like him. Physically, mentally, and spiritually, we shall be changed. Then we will be absolutely perfect. Our salvation will be complete. Our sanctification will be perfected. With every head bowed and every eye closed by way of television and radio. ABC's of salvation is that a we need to admit that we sinned. We need to be believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and then we need to confess Him as our Lord and Savior. Every head bowed by way of television and radio, let us say that prayer. Dear Jesus, Jesus forgive, me forgive me of my sin. Come into my heart and mind. Be my Savior and Lord. Savior, and
1: Empower me, Lord, by Holy Spirit. And me by the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name.
0: Jesus, name. Amen. 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 This time, Mike, if you please, come. As we um, continue by way of radio and television, we consider it a real privilege here at all of the United Methodist Church. And some may be doing by way of radio and television and um, YouTube. And we just appreciate your prayers, and, and the church continues to go on, even though in spite of the tremendous scares that are going on in the world. Thank you. I'd like to
1: continue on um, Pastor's. I call it S cubed. Separation, salvation, and sanctification. The truth is, God cannot even be in the same dimension of us because we are imperfect and sinful. Even if we think we're not who we are. But you know, Jesus bridged this bottomless gap of separation from God. And now, we get not only can we be with God, but we're welcomed by God because of what Jesus did when He bridged the gap of separation between us. The second as salvation. Like I said, there's an impenetrable, bottomless gap, a, a chasm between us and God. We cannot go to see God, and God cannot have, invite us to go see Him without that salvation that we receive from His Son, Jesus Christ. When Jesus died for us, He took all of our sins, all of our pain, all of our worries, all of our tears. He took them away, and He built that bridge across the gap between us and Father God. The last task is that sanctification. Again, with faith, we are back being the status, of being God's sons and daughters. The technical definition of sanctification is the state of of proper function, to make holy. Through our faith in Jesus Christ, we are restored back to being the sons and daughters of the Most High God, Father God. We are made holy. Holy, that word means separate. We're separate from the world. Separate from all the non believers from all the sinners, that doesn't make us better people. That simply brings us back to communion with God, our Father. And we are made holy and spotless in His eyes through our faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you. down. I want to say, go forward and worship the Father and use the Spirit. Thank you very much. That is a cut. Good job. Thank you. I just wrote that.
0: That's amazing.